Welcome to Come Follow Me. Today we're doing our lesson called the Galactic Reboot, the Song of the Soul. We're covering Psalms and it's episode 34. And I'm Farrell. And I'm Rhonda Pickering. And we're so glad here to be with you. And I'm really excited about this material, even though to a large degree, I'm covering the concept of Psalms more than I'm covering the content of Psalms. And that and, is... And I'll kind of review the structure of the Psalms that he had assigned for the second lesson, kind of in the next lesson. <laughs> yeah, she's actually going to kind of hit the structures of all of the Book of Psalms, whereas I'm more or less approaching the idea of a song of the soul. I'm excited. I'm excited I know too. You've got big stuff. This is going to be really fun, I hope. I hope you're going to enjoy it. I spent a lot of work getting this presentation together. And I just pray that this blesses you as it has blessed me. Where art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Psalms 42.5. This idea that we shall yet praise him. Why do we praise? Well, let's just go through some of the bullet points we are going to talk about today. I have, I have a thought. <laughs> I think it's really cool that what you opened it, it, what you opened with with Psalm 42 was actually from the last lesson, but in this lesson you're covering kind of books two and three of the book of Psalms. So 42 is the beginning of yes. book two. <laughs> so. Yes. Well, the concept here is it opens with praise and up. One of the questions we're going to hit is why should we praise God? And just how big is our God? And then we're going to address some questions I've been dying to present for a while. And that is, is science in conflict with God? And along with that, does science trouble your faith? There's a whole concept. Okay, so I'm just going to be quiet and let you answer all these big <laughs> <Okay>. questions. Okay. <laughs> and so, you know, the whole six days thing, or 3.8 billion years, you know, you know, is that a question that you have been addressed by your atheist the friends? The age-old debate. Yeah, the Genesis six-day creation yeah. compared to 3.8 billion years. You know, um, and is the creation story cyclical? in layering so there's another big question you have oh we could go oh i know this that is way. actually we're going to do that <laughs> we're going to try to do it every one of these we could we're going to try to do it in an hour but you know how that goes how can time be no longer as referred to in dnc 84 verse 100 what makes time no longer that's that's an interesting concept we're going to hit all these questions as best we can today uh, I guess it's kind of like, in order to praise with your whole soul and your whole heart, you have to understand what you're praising and who you're addressing. Yes, so beautiful, so great. I love it. That's just going to be awesome here. Anyway, so we're going to just jump right in with the first one. Why should we praise God? Well, I've addressed that in earlier sessions, that we praise God. It helps reset us. It helps us refocus our attention and keep the goal in mind rather than sometimes wallowing in our soup. Um, but I want to approach this a little differently this time. I want to approach why we praise God because of 
who he is and what he is. Anyway, so this is going to be fun. Okay, when we think just how big is God and we see Mercury, you know, Mars, Venus, Earth, and Neptune and um, Uranus and Saturn and Jupiter, and we see how little we are compared to even Jupiter, and then we almost disappear by the time you see the sun. And bigger than those are our sun is these huge stars out in the firmament, which the biggest one we have found so far is Canis Majoris. And if you notice that, just a picture that as our sun. And now look, I, am, I overlaid the orbits of our planets and you notice that Canis Majoris actually encompasses Saturn's orbit. Now, I don't know that you're aware, but just how significant that is, but that means a, a star so big that it's four times farther out than our orbit. We would be like a quarter or a third of the way in that star, inside of it. That's just mind-boggling. A star so big that only Uranus and Neptune and Pluto would be outside so of it. So you were saying like if, the if our sun was in the center of Canis Majoris, then we, we would, would be, be only a quarter of the way out. We would still be inside out. the star. Yeah, and so would Mars, so would the asteroid belt, so would Jupiter, and even Saturn would still be inside of it. That's a big planet. That's sun, star, a big star. Whatever you call it. <laughs> wow. You want to talk about the majesty. Now, when you think of kingdoms, just start to play this out in your head. Why do kingdoms we worship? Kingdoms of heaven. Kingdoms of heaven. So why do we worship him? Well, here's one good reason. Look at how much real estate they control. I mean, we're talking... Unbelievably, you can't even comprehend it. When we see our sun as a little dot out there, and now you just think it's encompassed us, and we're only about a quarter to a third of the way out. Now, is that just blow your mind or what? Well, it kind of reminds you of Job when you know God says, "Okay, here, let me exactly. let you see what I govern, and let's you try it on your model for a day." <laughs> right, and you know if that wasn't enough. You know, if that wasn't enough, let's just ask ourselves the next question. Just how big is our God? I mean, that's pretty big, right? What we've just looked at is pretty big, but just how big? Well, let's just jump in and you look at the cosmos out there and you look at these pictures we now have. And let's go to Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us, and I'm emphasizing the us there, make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the flesh of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So he's saying, let us. Now that's kind of contrary to what a lot of Christians look at, even though it's in their Bible. When it says us and our and all of those plural references, you know, the Christian world would kind of read over that. In the Hebrew, Elohim, the strong authority that breathes with the works into the mighty chaos or into the liquid of space, the eons of space, when we add the I am to it, because of the I am, it makes 
it plural, and we can then put it the strong leaders, the plural of the word, like it was in Genesis, let us in our image. So the strong leader with authority reveals the mighty works of his hands over the waters or over the, the chaos, the, the sea of unorganized matter. And God's massive work to create the breath from chaos. I, I think that's fascinating because you either have to put us in a pre-earth life with God in the creation here, if you're going to read it in the plural, or there has to be more than one person involved. I mean, it, it's hard Absolutely. to get around this plurality here. Yes, and thanks to uh, modern revelation, we actually have that confirmed. Absolutely. We're going to go into it thoroughly. <laughs> Good. Okay. We've seen just how big of a planet they found in Canis Majoris. And that's just incredible to think of a star so big that it encompasses clear out into the orbit of Saturn. That's just mind-boggling to me. I mean, you look out in the sky and the sun's just a little round dot that the moon could cover in a solar eclipse. But we're talking this sun is so big. You just can't even comprehend it. You know, I, I have such a hard time wrapping around it because we're only a third way out, like I said. What if that's just the beginning? Just how big really is Elohim or Elohim? Well, there is something out there called the cosmic web. This is what most astronomers believe is the biggest thing, if you want to call it, in the universe. This cosmic web is a linking together of galaxy clusters. If you notice all the little bright dots in there and all these dots as we're watching this fly by, they're galaxies and strings by connecting strings of galaxies by kind of galaxy roadways connecting tentacles. This cosmic web virtually is the universe. We are linked with our brothers and sisters of how many greats back there, Grandfather God? It looks like a nervous system. I know. It's fascinating you say so. So this cosmic web of stars that, that most astronomers believe is virtually the biggest thing in the cosmos really isn't, isn't really all one, one thing, but it is a string of galaxies all connected by pathways of strings of galaxies. It's like fractals. It's so amazing to see the fascinating creation that God has actually created the heavens with, with a solar system being the first building block. Well, obviously, you could go killer down to the micro. You could go atom, cell. Yeah, that's where my uh, you know, and you could when just, you said fractals, uh, I was yeah. thinking the way You could go all the way to the base point, and then you could go all the way up to solar systems, then galaxies, then local group, which is the local group of galaxies, then galaxy clusters, and then roadways between galaxies. I mean, we're talking a civilization of Elohim bigger than anything I can hardly even wrap my head around. This is just unbelievable as we look out there. And in between it, we have what appears to be blank space, right? You can see between these roadways, we have, you know, countryside, if you want to call it that way. Okay, well, let's just approach what Joseph Smith says about the countryside. <laughs>
thinking, there is yonder is space. Yeah. <laughs> Matter yeah. unorganized. Yes. Is science in conflict with God? Does science trouble your faith? Those are the two next questions I want to just analyze in this this discussion we're having here. You know, a lot of people have conflict with science and God. And science does trouble their faith. You know, the six days of Genesis is tough. So let's just let's just move forward and let's look back at this cosmic web. Okay? This in between here, scientists now believe there's something out there in between these big open spaces called dark matter. Well, what? Sounds dark. Yeah. <laughs> well, what they call it dark because it's not lit up. They can't see it. Right. Okay. Science believes that in between these big galaxy clusters and roadways and just thousands of galaxies in each, sometimes in each one of these clusters, big ones in the middle, you know, it's just amazing to even contemplate. When you think of our galaxy being, you know, 80 to 100,000 light years across, when you think of that, that just blows your mind. It takes so much time for all these things to take place, you would think. And yet, God says six days, come on. That's why scientists have such a trouble, right? Well, let's just look at DNC 131, 6 through 8. It is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance. There is no such thing as immaterial matter. All spirit is matter, but it is more fine and pure and can only be discerned by purer eyes. We cannot see it, but when our bodies are purified, we shall see it is all matter. What about this dark stuff out there? Interesting thought, huh? I was going to say a pun. Was you? Go Does ahead. it matter? Does it matter? <laughs> you have to ask that question. So this is Joseph Smith answering questions about matter um, and creation in teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. Doesn't the Bible say he created the world? And they infer from the word create that he must have made it out of nothing. Now, the word create came from the barot, or barot, I think, I can't, I know how to say it if I went back to my blue letter Bible, but I'm going to just slaughter it for now. Which does not mean to create out of nothing. It means to organize, the same as a man would organize materials to build a ship. Hence, we infer that God had the materials to organize the world out of chaos, chaotic matter, which is element, and in which dwells all the glory. Element has its existence from the time he had, he being God. So it's been around since the beginning. The pure principles of element are principles which can never be destroyed. They may be organized and reorganized, but not destroyed. They had no beginning and they could have no end, teaching the prophet Joseph Smith. Now we're starting to comprehend the idea that what he did is he seen this same matter out here unorganized and he says, you know, let's, let's go organize it. Okay, it's really beautiful when you put it all together in concept. Conceptually, out there in these dark places, sometimes a, this thing starts to occur where we have the Lyman alpha blobs. These Lyman alpha blobs begin to heat up and create kind of a bubble out there in space of gas and, and, and energy by energy coming from somewhere into this unorganized matter and it creates these big gaseous uh, blobs. This one looking like almost an amoeba 
And this amoeba is 200,000 light years across some of Yeah, those. I was going to ask you, what, what is the scale of these boxes? These things are so big that you... This can, isn't like a nebula. Yeah, that you would see a galaxy next to it, and it's small. It's bigger than the galaxy. Nebulas are stars nurseries. These blobs are galaxy Galaxy nurseries? Oh my goodness! Okay, we're talking galaxy nurseries now. We're talking on a scale that you can't even hardly comprehend. These big Lyman alpha blobs, as they call them, kind of after That's a... kind of an odd name, but... Uh, yeah, okay. I know. I thought it was, too. It's obviously named after some guy named Lyman, I would guess. Uh, <laughs> a small blob. <laughs> well, they call it blob because it looks like a blob. Anyway, these organizations happening out in is matter unorganized. And when you come across this matter unorganized, they organize it by infusing order or energy. What is energy? It is outside influence creating order, perhaps from another dimension, perhaps however you might want to put it, from a spiritual realm. But here the galaxies are created in a galaxy nursery, like a nebula. It would be a planetary or a star nursery. Just well, that, that kind of, it fascinated me when I was studying um, astronomy that, you know, we, we say, well, what if the a nebula or, or a solar system collided with another and everything? And, and the more you get into it, the more you realize that when, when they collide, when they mesh together, that is when stars are born. Or when a different level of creation takes place. Right, it, it kind of reminds <clears throat> me of um, when we were out there in Hawaii. Do you remember when we went out? Sure, when lava? we out, and, and um, the lava meets the ocean, and you right. have so we're sitting there destruction and meeting creation. And we're creation. watching this honey thick lava fall off the cliff down and hit the ocean, and the ocean is like boiling and explodes into this fine black sand when it hits it. and. And just yeah. 20 years later, there was stuff growing on some of this black sand. Yeah, and, and, and it was <clears> like, oh my gosh, look at this. This is, we are watching destruction meet creation. Yes, creation from destruction. The chaos, yeah. Yeah, from the chaos. And so what we have is all these same concepts going on. It's just incredible. So I'm going to go back to a slide that we looked at earlier where we, where we talked about it is impossible for man to be saved in ignorance and this dark matter. And we think, oh my goodness, dark matter. And, and I kind of showed you how these Lyman alpha blobs um, are the creation of a new, a new suburb, if you want to call it. Well, so, so help me with um, what we're seeing. Are these Lyman alpha blobs that we're looking at? Or no, these, these are, are star clusters. The Lyman alpha blobs would occur out here in the open space in what they're calling the dark matter. Oh, okay. Okay, and that is where a, a new a new metropolis is going to be built, if you want to call it that way. A new a new creation is going to take place in what science would call dark matter. Now, I wanted to just jump back where she went a little earlier than I planned to, but that's okay. That happens. Uh, yeah, it does happen, <laughs> and which is okay. But when you look at this. And you look, when she said that it reminded you of the nervous system, 
I wanted to just show you literally how close it is that dark matter and gray matter come together. Gray matter. I'm making a pun here. Gray matter. You know. Oh, gray cells. <laughs> anyway, gray. Okay. but the nervous system. I was gonna say, is that a term? Gray matter. That's a slang term. All right. From from my day, maybe I'm dating myself here. Uh, anyway, but you have these neural pathways to these nerve endings and all the different things going on in the brain and this nervous system resembles the cosmic web. This cosmic web being a three-dimensional spider web that virtually fills the universe and is virtually taking up this creational pattern well, I, that's I cyclical know, in nature. I don't know if you have time to get into this, but how did they discover this cosmic web? How do Just we know with it's all real? The, just with all their looking in the scopes and analyzing the heavens and particularly with different bands of light where they can do the heat patterns and the cool patterns of light, they can see these these roadways. These roadways and in essence the the galactic metropolises. I don't know whether I'm using a good word, but big clusters of galaxies with these strings of galaxies connecting them all creating an energy map and intricate almost universe well it, it gives me the feeling nervous system yeah but it gives me the feeling that it's all alive well didn't joseph say that that the earth is alive not at the same level as you and i but the whole universe. but the structures are organic when you get down it to almost it. seems that way even out there in the heavens it's just incredibly fascinating. And you know what's so amazing is that Joseph Smith, clear back in 1830, was talking about this stuff before Einstein, before all this. Before he, Hubble or James Yeah, before Webb. James Webb and Hubble and all this is going on, and he's talking about this stuff. And it's just amazing what he came up with, which he actually didn't. He was revealed to him. It helps if you can okay. see it, you know. <laughs> okay, so we're going to do this in teaching the prophet Joseph Smith also. In tracing the things to the foundation and looking at it philosophically, we shall find a very material difference between the body and the spirit. The body is supposed to be organized matter, and the spirit, by many, is thought to be immaterial, without substance. With this latter statement, we should beg leave to differ. The state of the spirit is a substance that is material. But that is a more pure, elastic, and refined material than the body. That it exists before the body, and can exist in the body, and will exist separate from the body, when the body will be moldering in the dust, and will in the resurrection be again united with it. So he's saying that out here in this dark matter, I'm going to give you some total feral conjecture here. Okay? Yeah. <clears throat> Speculation land. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Scientists talk about black holes being in the center of the galaxy and black holes being in, in places. And they speculate all kinds of things. But in essence, it's got so much gravity or so much pull that light can't escape. Well, you know, a lot of people have thought, oh, that must be outer darkness. Or, or black hole. Yeah, it? black hole. Because we call it so a black hole. the light in. Yeah, so it's, it, you know, it's, it's, well, I want to just throw another idea on the table. What if a black hole is a veiled celestial glory? What if it's so bright 
and so filled with energy and power that it has to be veiled. And the veiling is all part of the process. And so in the center of our galaxy is a veiled celestial realm. Interesting conjecture that these black holes are so filled with unity of the presence of, for sake of a term, the gods, that it has to be veiled or it would consume the rest of it. Well, that's a far cry different idea than these ways you've seen these things that we don't understand presented as, you know, like monsters gobbling yes. everything, you know. What if it's just another form of the gathering to, to Zion type concept? Anyway, just throwing that out there that and I, I've heard it said that gravity is compared with love. That, you know, because you know, science has a hard time. They can design the attributes of gravity. They can understand how it works. But they can't tell you why. They don't know why objects are attracted to one another and more mass is attracted more. Well, I propose to you, it's love that attracts bodies together. It is the electromagnetic energy of love. Just as a thrown out idea out there. In the case of Moses here, and he saw God face to face and he talked with him. And in the glory of God was upon Moses. Therefore Moses, Moses could endure his presence. And God spake unto Moses saying, Behold, I am the Lord God Almighty. And endless is my name. For I am without beginning of days or end of years. And is this not endless? And behold, thou art my son, wherefore look, and I will show thee the workmanship of my hands, but not all, for my works are without end, and also my words, for they never cease. Wherefore, no man can behold all my works, except he behold all my glory. And no man can behold all my glory, and afterward remain in the flesh upon the earth. Wow. He just said it. It's just endless. It's just almost boundless. You can't. We are so finite, we can't comprehend what I'm talking about here. So this God we're talking about, this Elohim, this God's plural, made one in law, is beyond comprehension. I have a work for thee, Moses, my son, and thou art in similitude of my only begotten. And my only begotten is and shall be the Savior, for he is full of grace and truth. But there is no God besides me, and all things are present with me, for I know them all. Wow, there it is. All things are present with me. What? Where did time go? Well, and how can you know such an endless number? Yeah, well, it's like, how do you connect time and yet, in that, what he just said? And yet, throughout the scriptures, we know that he does. We know that over and over and over again, even like in Third Nephi, when he came, he says he blessed them one, one by one. By one. Almost like he stopped time somehow. Well, it's almost like he's outside of time yeah. and he can interact with time without any restriction. That concept, all things are present with me, it just blows my mind. Uh, I, we have such a hard time wrapping around anything but the ticking of the clock. You know, many of us have worked by the hour. You know, time is, well, you know. 
I, and I hate to take up time, are you going to talk about Flatland? Can I t address that really quick? Because that helped me so much to understand this principle. Yeah, you can if you go quick, I guess. Okay, so we've... When I was trying to wrap my head around how God could be in a higher dimension, you know, it's really hard if you live in a three-dimensional world to imagine a fourth or a fifth or a hundredth dimension higher than what we live in. And the idea was brought up that well, what we can do is we can look at a lower dimension. So just pretend that you are a little stick figure man and you live in a little stick house and you live on a flat piece of paper and you live in a 2D world and this flat piece of paper that's, you know, infinitesimally smaller than whatever. house would look like the Hebrew yeah. bet. Right. Because <laughs> it would just be on the flat land. It would be drawn on the paper. You can't get off of the paper. Alphabet is flat land. And you live in this, in this land and you're the little stick guy and you have a stick house and you want to go fishing. So you're going to have to walk around your house to get over to the pond and, you know, you're going to have to draw your fish and a line for the top of the water, and you're gonna live in this 2D world. Now, if a 3D person like me wanted to interact with this piece of paper, and I wanted to go visit my little stick figure guy, I would put my finger and I would touch the paper. But to the little stick figure guy, he would say, oh, I get what a person in the three dimension, third dimension looks like. He looks like a dot. Then as I moved my finger down, that dot would begin to go into a big circle. And he's like, oh, now I get what a third dimensional person is like. They, they're a dot that draw, grows bigger into a circle. And, and, you know, you just start to expand this idea. And, and we might end up with scriptures that say, and the heavens unrolled it as, unrolled as a scroll. You know, we've got an attempt to, or wheels within, within wheels that Ezekiel sees. You know, these, these attempts to describe the throne of God, which is higher dimensions. It's hard to even to a, come To us close. in a third dimensional world. And you know, in the person in three in 2D flatland, you know, he, he would think, oh, I can hide from, from this, this God in the third dimensional world. I'll climb under the bed. And yet, you know, the person in the three dimensional world looking at the little guy were Well, the climb under the bed requires three dimensions, by the way. Well, well, yeah, well, but, but in the two-dimensional world, and he'll just go around the bed and go, you know, because... I'll close it, the door. Yeah, in his world, world, it would be blocked because there's a line between you and the thing. And yet, to a person in the third-dimensional world, they can see everything that's going on yeah. on that 2D piece of paper. And so you you get... And, and for a person in a higher dimension, I could go into his room without ever going through a door or anything like that. And so the scriptures are replete with attempts to describe dimensional higher appearances, dim higher dimensions to us in our third dimensional world. And yet it's a difficult concept for us. We kind of can abstractly wrap around it. So it can helps, I move on? Oh yeah, you, it helps ready? me just to, to think of a lower <clears throat> dimension because I can get that part. Right. But how do and you there wrap you your head? Therefore you can by conjecture, assume that that they can move in and out of our world at exactly. At will like in after Jesus appeared after he was resurrected, he the room, the doors were locked, the the room was closed, yep. and he appeared in the room and showed himself to his disciples. So I I just feel like it helped me just begin a little bit to understand how God can love 
every one of us personally. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, let's just move on with this, uh, this quote in Moses. And now, behold, this one thing I show unto thee, Moses, my son, for thou art in the world, and now I show it unto thee. And it came to pass that Moses looked and beheld the world upon which he was created. And Moses beheld of the world and the ends thereof, and all the children of men which are and, and which were created of the same, he greatly marveled and wondered. So he got shown the beginning, in from the beginning, like Isaiah and many others. Yeah, and he would have had to have been, been transfigured even to be able to see it, to grasp it. He had to come out of that <clears throat> piece of paper, out of that 2D world, just to, just to see it, to be quickened, yeah. I've had dreams sometimes that give me the impression of, of a, a perception that I haven't been able to almost retain. I only retain the idea that I could see more in that state that I was when I was kind of quickened in a dream state in some instances. Anyway, it's fascinating concepts. So when we, when we contemplate all these things and we are talking about the heavens and the eternities, and the presence of God withdrew from Moses, that his glory was not upon Moses, and Moses was left unto himself. And as he was left unto himself, he fell to the earth. And it came to pass that he was for the space of many hours before Moses did again receive his natural strength. Like unto man, and he said unto himself, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I never supposed. Now I want to present to your mind with James Webb and with Hubble, we are being able to see a portion of what Moses saw. And just with that much, just with James Webb, just with Hubble, just with peering out through what would be an eight-foot straw into nothingness of space, we see what's on the, on the left there, galaxies without number. We realize exactly what Moses was saying here, that man is not nothing, which thing he had never supposed. And what he meant by that is, we're so small. On the scale of God's big. Yeah, on, <laughs> well, you know, uh, and yet he loves us enough to send his only begotten son to redeem and bring us along in this process. Wow. Remember back to the question, just how big is God? Do we want to praise him? Wow. Just think about it. It just gets to be amazingly incredible. I want to get to the idea of Psalms. When we think of Psalms, what it is, and she's gonna go into it next time, really strong, but what Psalms is, is it's a compilation. It's kind of their hymn book, but it's- I like uh, to think of it as a quilt. Is that, a that they had all these beautiful songs and Psalms written by many people, not just David. But then they put them all together in a quilt of a picture of the redemption of Israel. And, and it's for that reason I want to share with you this song out of our old hymn book. I'm not sure if it's still in our new one. I haven't checked thoroughly. But anyway, in our old hymn book, If You Could Hide to Co-op by William Phelps. And obviously he got this from the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it just blows your mind as you re look at it. And the words are just incredible in the sense that it explains this feeling. So that's what Psalms is, is what 
we some of our best material in our hymn books could almost be scripture you know it's by the inspiration and so many things i mean liza r snow oh Lines my father so many of them that are just incredibly beautiful uh, um, just incredible if you could hide to Kolob in the twinkling of an eye and then continue onward with that same speed to fly, do you think that you could ever, through all eternity, find out the generation where gods begin to be? Now, in lieu of everything we have just looked at and looked at the majesty of, of the universe, the majesty of the biggest planet, the majesty on the micro scale of the atom, it's just mind-boggling. I don't know how to put it any other way. Absolutely mind-boggling. And see the grand beginning where space did not extend? Or view the last creation where God and matter end? Methinks the spirit whispers, no man has found pure space. This idea of dark matter. <laughs> no man has found pure space. Nor see the outside curtain where nothing has a place. It just fits totally in with... Or, or where everything is being gobbled up in the universe, in some mm -hmm. giant galactic monster. No man has found... Pure space. Nothing. Yeah, it's, there, there is not nothing. And that's what scientists can't quite explain too often, like this dark matter concept and, mm -hmm. and what's in a black hole and all the different Chuck things. Mil Chuck, Chuck Missler gets into that in his uh, videos when he says that there really is not randomness. Yeah. It's hard to find... True randomness. True randomness. Well, even in our computers, when we create a random number generator, it's seated in... The and, process of organization that created the randomness isn't random. And it's really fascinating when you take randomness, so to speak, and apply in fractals. It just creates landscape. It's, it's, it's amazing how literally God's hand is on everything out there. And just, I want to throw this out there for anybody who doesn't know what a fractal is. Oh my goodness. Just take a look. Try something like fractals and snowflakes or fractals and trees and and Google for it or, or look for it and, and you're going to just be blown away right. with the organization of randomness. So this is one of our psalms, if you want to put it that way. There is no end to virtue. There is no end to might. There is no end to wisdom. There is no end to light. There is no end to unison or union. There is no end to youth. There is no end to priesthood. There is no end to truth. There is no end to glory. There is no end to love. There is no end to being. There is no death above. There is no end of glory. There is no end to love. And then it repeats. And the works of God can change the world and lives abound. It's just amazing. There is no end to space. How William Phelps captured this concept in a song that Joseph taught so openly. And I, and I love the, the fact that, you know, when we see those stanzas repeat and everything, you will see that in the Psalms as well. Those Psalms where it says his mercy or his love endures forever. And there, there's actually one where the, the, the people... Yeah, we do the, a song. His love endures forever. Exactly. And there's a whole Psalm where the priest will say the one part and then the people will say 
his mercy endures forever. And then they say another line and it's his mercy endures forever. And the whole Psalm is that way. Can you imagine that in the ancient temple with all the harps and psalters and trumpets and, and Levitical choirs, you know, would have been cool. So now let's just jump into the description given to some of these things in DNC 88. I just found it. It's Psalm 136 that does that. His mercy endures forever after every single life. All kingdoms have a law given, and there are many kingdoms, for there is no space in which there is no kingdom, and there is no kingdom in which there is no space, either a greater or lesser kingdom. And unto every kingdom is given a law, and unto every law there is a certain bounds also and conditions. When you look at that pinhole straw through an eight-foot straw out there in heaven and you see this picture on the right, they all are kingdoms. This idea, next question, six days or 3.8 billion years. Okay. Wow. Now you have got many... I'm going to have to go with yes and yes somehow. Yeah. And I, I love that. Or both. Anyway. So six days or 3.8 billion years, and you ask yourself, this is the big question, and they like to mock Genesis over this. Well, once again, Joseph to the rescue, you know? To me, that in itself is an amazing concept. To mock God for the pattern that he gives you by which he does things. I yeah. mean, the whole idea of mocking God is arrogant. It's scary to me. Yeah, it's so arrogant because time and time again, it's proven over and over again, the truth of these things. So let's go to Joseph Smith and let's see what he had to say about this topic. Six days or 3.8 billion years. Of course, they obviously didn't make the assumption of 3.8 billion years in Joseph's day. But he answered it before the question was asked. I think when you say 3.8, though, you mean 13.8, because that's what it says on the screen. I do. <laughs> okay, good. Six days or 13.8 million years. Yeah, that's what you call it. Anyway. It's just a little bit different. Definitely, <laughs> definitely a little different. The answer to the question in DNC 130.4 is not the reckoning of God's time, angels' time, prophet's time, man's time, according to the planets on which they reside? I love that. Science. Theory of relativity. We call it theory. It's actually quite proven in the way we deal with our satellites, in the GPS system and everything. God's reckoning of time is different depending on the sphere you're presiding over, I'm going to put it that way. You know? I actually think that God speaks to us in our capacity. Absolutely, in our time. Right. He, he can't speak to us from his dimension. He has to um, Absolutely. paint it and, so and, we can and, understand and, it. And in Abraham 4, 8, and this was the second time, and they called night and day. It wasn't night and day as we know it. It was called a period of of descent and ascent, and that the was darkness the darkness first, and then uh, the light. Yeah, not the way we. It's do a it. cyclical pattern we're talking about. And now we're going to go to Abraham five thirteen. But the tree of knowledge and good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the time that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now I Abraham saw that it was after the Lord's time, which was after the time of Kolob, 
For as yet the gods had not appointed unto Adam his reckoning. So this idea of six days is obviously... is before man's reckoning. It's, it's before our reckoning. So it's very clear that this reckoning is on multiple scales. Therefore, the cyclical nature of creation. There is a scale for every level of creation. There is a time frame, a day and a night, or a night and a day, for every cyclical reference. And Genesis was the best attempt God could do to communicate to our feeble minds the nature of it. Right. And the pattern of it. And the pattern of it. And because, remember that in Hebrew prophecy is pattern, these cycles of creation play out on multiple levels. Yes. Absolutely beautiful. So this whole science versus God thing. Thank you, Joseph Smith, for clearing that up or at least making it more clear. It somewhat was clear, but it is so much more clear with the revelations given to Joseph Smith. He actually knew about the theory of relativity or the, or the law of relativity before Einstein lived. I mean, it's just fascinating to note. And so when we think about time, and we're trying to rotate this time, Einstein determined that time is relative. In other words, the rate at which time passes depends on your frame of reference. So, God has, God's Elohim has multiple frames of reference. And there is one. Depending on how big the star is upon which you reside. Or, depending on maybe how big the star, the universe. I mean, there's all different levels. Dimensionally, we have no idea because he says there's no end to it. That would mean that maybe this universe isn't the only one. That's just way out there. But we'll just leave it at that for now. I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm not going to outguess God at this point. I'm just saying we have a tendency to see things from our own perception so and much. And put God in the box. And put him in a box. Joseph Smith says that God reigns. And, and this is scriptural. Joseph Smith actually put a number on what an eternity was, 233 million something. Anyway, but the point is, is that the scriptures actually say from eternity to eternity. To eternity. Whoa. Wrap your mind around that uh, one. Uh, yeah, it's just, that's why I say it's so much bigger than we even comprehend. And so, you know, you, know, you ask, why should we praise him? Well, him's big. That, <laughs> and that he loves us and is orchestrating things in our daily lives for our growth. And that it is our direct father that is that connection. Not, now you're just hurting my brain, right? I know. It's just, it's that intricate tree that goes back into the eternity. Just un unbelievable. Would you read this one? Sure. And unto every kingdom is given a law. And unto every law there are certain bounds also and conditions. All beings who abide not in those conditions are not justified. For intelligence cleaveth unto intelligence. Wisdom receiveth wisdom. 
Truth embraces truth. Virtue loveth virtue. Light cleaveth unto light. Mercy, mercy hath compassion on mercy and claimeth her own. Justice continueth its course and claimeth its own. Judgment goeth before the face of him who sitteth upon the throne and governeth and executeth all things. He comprehendeth all things and all things are before him and all things are round about him and he is above all things and in all things and is through all things and round about all things and all things are by him and of him, even God forever and ever. To me, that is just like an attempt to describe a higher dimension interfacing with a lower dimension. Yeah, it's, it, it's just amazing to me what was revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith and how it answers all the modern questions if people would just listen to the answer with the Spirit. And again, barely I say unto you, he hath given a law unto all things by which they move in their times and seasons. And their courses are fixed, even the courses of the heavens and the earth, which comprehend the earth and all the planets. And they give light to each other in their times and seasons, in their minutes, in their hours, in their days, in their weeks, in their months, and in their years. All these are one year with God, but not with man. The earth rolls upon her wings, and the sun giveth her light by day, and the moon giveth her light by night. And the stars also giveth their light as they roll upon their wings in their glory in the mists of the power of God. Unto what shall I liken these kingdoms that you may understand? Behold, all these kingdoms, and any man who hath seen any of the least of these hath seen God moving in his majesty and power. Now, if you haven't seen in this presentation God's majesty and power, then your wood's wet. Meaning... You, it's hard to light your that, fire that, that if your wood's wet. That was a Stephen wet. Curtis Chapman quote where he says, if, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. And the Lord said unto me, These are the governing ones, and the name of the great one is Co-op, because it is near unto me. For I am the Lord thy God, and have set this one to govern all those which belongeth to the same order as that thou which thou standest. So he's saying to Abraham, right? Co-op is only the biggest one of our order, our group. It's nothing to do with the majesty of the eternities and the majesty of the universe. Well, and I, I think oftentimes I hear people say, you know, God lives on Kolob. No, it says that Kolob is near to him. Well, he I, could be on another dimension beyond well, Kolob. He's all of the above because God is many. The God who administers to us may reside on Koab, our father. That's plausible. And the Lord said unto me by the Urim and Thummim, that Koab was after the manner of the Lord, according to the times and seasons in their revolutions thereof. That one revolution was a day unto the Lord, after his manner of reckoning. It be at a thousand years, according to the time appointed, unto that wherein thou standest. So the relationship is just completely different, depending on, as Einstein put it, your frame of reference. Right. Your frame of reference has everything to do with how back into the eternities we go. This whole debate about six days or 13.8 billion years is answered in the book of Abraham by Joseph Smith. 
It just depends on your frame of reference. It just depends on your frame of reference. This is the reckoning of the Lord's time according to the reckoning of Kolob. So he's saying only as it pertains to Kolob. There is reckonings bigger. And the Lord said unto me, The planet which is the lesser light, lesser than that which is to rule the day, even the night, is above or greater than upon the, that which thou standest in the point of reckoning. It moveth in order more slow. This is in order because it standeth above. The earth upon which thou standeth, therefore, the reckoning of its time is not so many as to its number of days and months and years. So Abraham's answering all these incredible questions that all the scientists are asking. And he's saying, guess what? God knew this before. Joseph knew this before. This is fascinating stuff. This answers all these big questions in science. Is the creation story cyclical? In layering, how time can be no longer? So we're already kind of answering that. This whole creation story is cyclical on the macro and on the micro. All of it is created according to a pattern. It's very incredibly beautiful that these things happen that way. Time can be no longer simply by changing your frame of reference. In God's frame of reference, he actually said clear back in D&C that time is not relevant to him. He actually can see the end from the beginning. What a concept. Prophecy. What a, what a layout. Really hard to wrap your mind around, but it's obviously bearing true. And even Einstein dis discoveries Joseph knew ahead of time. That is a fascinating concept. Okay, so moving on into more of the book of Abraham here. And the Lord said unto me, Now Abraham, these two facts exist. Behold, thy eyes see it. It is given unto thee to know the times of reckoning, and the set times, yea, and the set times of the earth upon which thou standest, and the set times of the greater light which is set to rule the day, and the set times of the lesser light which is set to rule the night. What's fascinating about that, by the way, is it, it applies both ways. Meaning, there is a set time, but it also, it changes based on a month, a lunar month. All these things apply to the appointed times, too. There's reference, I mean, it's so deep in meaning. It's just unbelievably deep in meaning. Well, and that's why they are appointed times, is because they're governed by, by a cosmic clock. Exactly. With sun and moon, and they set, it said that in Psalms, it said that the moon establishes the times and the seasons. So these times and seasons are enormous. There's different times and seasons depending on the kingdom you're in and the moment of progression. That's just, wow. The set times of the lesser light is longer than the reckoning of the reckoning of the earth within which thou standest. And where these two facts exist, there shall be another fact above them. That is, there shall be another planet whose reckoning of time shall be longer still. That's endless in concept. And we're actually, the, the, these amazing telescopes now are proving Joseph Smith. What he said. Yeah. And we're looking way back in time now in our telescopes 
And thus there shall be the reckoning of the time of one planet above another, until thou come nigh unto Kolob, which Kolob is after the reckoning of the Lord's time. And you could ask yourself, which Lord? Well, you know, it all varies, depending on how many generations we've gone back. You know, which Kolob is set nigh unto the throne of God to govern all those planets which belong to the same order as that upon which thou standest. This is just incredible stuff. We are answering the questions of the day here. We're answering the controversy between science and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we're drawn to the end of this presentation and I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity to present this to you. It's exciting for me because I love science and I love the gospel and I find absolute answers to science in the gospel. And I find a depth of understanding from science applied to the gospel, and they are not in conflict. True science is not in conflict with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so in ending here, I wanted to share with you the spirit of Psalms by sharing with you one of our favorite songs. And we're going to sing for you the power of his love, which is, which is gravity in my perspective of all of this. Well, or in the, in the idea of that cosmic web, what is it that, that holds, it all together? holds galaxies, gal galactic clusters together? What is it that creates this network of communication and of energy? It's just beautiful. So with that, we are going to sing for you the power of his love. Our song, our praise.
Thank you very much. So as we come to the end, this is a galactic reboot. It is our song of the soul, which resets your soul, resets. Actually, it's going to reset eternity. The song of Moses, the things that are going to happen as we go into this millennial day. Just to tie it in, though, with, with the reading that we did for this section as well. This is a, a section where God's people were in exile. And this is how you reach God when you're far away. It's like praise. Yeah, and in a sense we are in exile because, I mean, this world we're headed into is definitely exile. And we sing need a to song. Come. Yep, sing a song. So this is our episode 34 on Psalms. And till next time. When we finish up the literary structures and the amazing. Okay, thank you.